Local voices, local conversations. You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Thanks for joining us at NapaBroadcasting.com. There's probably no harder job in Napa County than being third district supervisor. Given the makeup of its constituency, you have to be torn between wanting to move the county forward into the 21st century, appreciating the value of the wine industry in your district, but understanding that a significant part of the constituency think that the answer to every problem is to turn back the clock 50 years or blame the wineries. An executive in Hollywood once said that you can get into a lot of trouble for doing nothing, but that you can get into even more trouble by doing something. Diane Dillon, Napa's third district supervisor, has for four terms for 16 years successfully walked this tightrope, and now she is looking to do it again. It is my pleasure to welcome Diane Dillon here to Napa Broadcasting. Diane, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Always good to have you. Why do you want to do this again? You've done this for uh, quite a number of years. You've done four elections, and, and you want to do it again. Joking aside, what is it that motivates you? Why do you want to keep doing this? Candidly, I like this job. Mm-hmm. Candidly, I think I do a really good job at this job, and I think it's a really critical time in our county's history and in the current composition of the board and makeup of the county structure and the issues we're facing that we not change horses right now. So um, I would like to uh, get reelected so that I can use the institutional memory that I've developed, use the contacts that I've developed on behalf of the county. As you know, I've worked at the state and national level on behalf of the county. Mm -hmm. And over the next four years, be able to share that wealth of knowledge with my colleagues and get us to a place where we have a really robust board and we're all at a level where we can really make the good decisions and the hard decisions that we need to make. It's really tough on three people who are my colleagues who have collectively only been there about seven years. Um, It's a hard job when you start. There's so much you don't know even if you come experienced from a a city council, uh, as Supervisor Ramos did. I think she had six years on the American Canyon City Council. But being supervisor is different. We're running a criminal justice system with the DA budget, the public defender budget, running a jail, one of only two counties in the state where the Board of Supervisors runs the jail instead of the sheriff. Um, That's about a third of our budget and what we do. And then another third is the health and human services activities. And cities don't do those things. Cities have police force, but the rest of all of that, two-thirds of what we do at the county level or more, is, is not something you experience at the city level. You said that you think this is a critical time. And obviously one of the reasons is, as you said, there are three relatively new members on the Board of Supervisors. But in terms of the broader issue of it being a critical time for the county, What's more critical now? What's different than some of the other races that you've run and some of the other issues that have come up in those races and those times? One of the critical issues is, of course, the heightened concern about where we're headed as a county. Are we at a crossroads in terms of development in our unincorporated area, the way that the wine industry is developing in the future. What is that going to look like? We have a, not unlike every other county in the Bay Area and most counties um, or the 
most of the urban area and suburban area counties in the state of California, we have a really bad uh, housing challenge for our local workforce and uh, a significant traffic issue. Totally, both severely uh, exas- um, made more difficult by the events of last October, um, the impact of the fire, with 5,000 homes being burned in Sonoma County, there weren't 5,000 jobs lost in Sonoma County. And so many of those folks are having to commute in, largely from Solano County, Mendocino County, other places, some even from Napa County, if they were able to find some housing here. And in turn, we have uh, a workforce as it grows, as there's natural growth in the workforce, we don't have an adequate supply of housing, which causes those folks to have to commute in for their jobs. And so the whole situation combined with the situation in the other seven Bay Area counties is created an untenable situation uh, for most people, that people complain, and rightfully so, that they can't leave Napa to get to San Francisco, to go to the airport, or for any other activity, to, much less to get to the South Bay in, in any reasonable time frame unless they leave before th- 2 or 3 in the afternoon. And it didn't used to be that way. It's arrived, that has all arrived at our doorstep in a relatively short time when you look at it in years because it's really started with the resurgence and in the wine and tourism industries, which are our primary industries, uh, after the recession, quote-unquote, ended. I would, I used January or February 2014. This was not an issue when I ran four years ago in June 2014 like it is today. So oh. it's, when you look at it in, that, in, the, in a scheme of years, it's really developed rather quickly. The traffic issue, though, is one that is a regional issue. I mean, certainly as, as tough as the traffic issues are here in Napa County, they in some ways pale compared to how bad they are in most other places in the Bay Area. They most certainly do, um, but it's, it's kind of like the pothole on your street. If the pothole's on everybody else's street, they could be 10 times worse. You really don't care. It's the pothole on your street that you care about, even if it's the smallest of the lot. And that, and it's how people look at the situation. They look at what's happening in their city, in their county, and rightfully so. I guess the question then is your responsibility, and I don't mean you personally, but electeds, members of the Board of Supervisors in general, to really make the point that this is part of a larger regional problem. Unlike the pothole, the city or the county can't fix it. This is a problem that has to be fixed, whether it's the problems of Highway 37 or the problems of American Canyon. These are problems that really require much greater cooperation and and many jurisdictions involved in, in finding solutions. That's absolutely right, which is why when I started the description of, of the issue and the, and the problem, I uh, referenced it to the larger picture. Talk a little bit about housing, because 
again, arguably, how much can the county do, particularly in the unincorporated areas, in the areas that, that the board has jurisdiction over, how much could the county really do with respect to some of the housing problems we face? Well, we made a choice back in 1968 with the Ag Preserve, which, as you know, we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of it. Yep. This year, we made a choice in this county that we, and the voters have reaffirmed that choice over and over again, as has the Board of Supervisors with the general plan, that we are going to have city-centered growth, which means housing, shopping, those kinds of activities, most certainly industrial activities, all those will happen in the urbanized city areas. So you're absolutely right. The county really doesn't have the ability to, most certainly the Board of Supervisors doesn't have the ability to rezone agricultural land for subdivisions or housing growth. But what we have done and what we have ramped up each year, I feel like we're doing a, a little more in terms of each year and, it, and it's uh, increasing geometrically, I hope, uh, it, to facilitate the growth of housing, the building of housing for our workforce within the cities. And we do that by having had and continuing to have, and we've increased it, an affordable housing fee that both homeowners in the unincorporated area as well as wineries uh, pay into. And that money we try to leverage with city money and other funding to, to create that housing. And we can point to any number of projects that have been developed using that scenario. What we've also tried to do is make it easier for housing to be built using our, it's not necessarily leverage, but using our connections at the state level to make sure that there is legislation being passed that makes it easier to create housing. We were one of the only counties, and I led this charge, to support the buy right concept. Mm -hmm. And the by right concept, that's B-Y, not B-U-Y, uh, concept that was proposed about three years ago by Governor Brown said if that a city or a county, but mostly it was applicable to cities, if you, through your general plan process and your zoning process, identify places where affordable housing or workforce housing can be built, it creates the buy right, the buy right is that you will be able, the builder will be able to come in assured that they are not going to have a fight on their hands with neighbors or others through the CEQA process, and the affordable housing or workforce housing can be built in a more cost-efficient way. That, uh, the first time we supported it, it didn't pass the legislature. It was still very unpopular with the cities, and I'm not talking about our five cities, I'm talking about statewide, but through a lot of communication, education, an understanding, a revamping of the law, we actually saw seven significant housing bills passed in the last couple of years that will help us all be able to achieve our goals more quickly, I hope. How might this relate, and, and really in a broader sense, your thoughts about the counties having the Health and Human Services campus on Old Sonoma Road, and what might become of that with respect to housing? 
I hope that that can become the location for a significant amount of workforce housing. I think, and I've heard from the neighbors, that they're ready to embrace that. It's the, the points of contention appear to be around the historic structures and how the project is going to look. That's a perfect example of where it, the process that we've had in place thus far, before the, this legislation was passed at the state level, that's a perfect example of where now the builder is going to have to incur really significant costs to arrive at what's built, how many units are housing that's affordable, how many are market rate houses, and so forth. If instead that property had been something where it would have been a legislative decision to decide what goes there, and then someone and with a lot of a lot of a lot of effort, the same kind of community discussion, but it would be it would be occurring with a lot of this is what's going to happen in the future and not something that's imminent and threatening to people. We could have a much smoother process and a lower cost. So I hope there'll be as much housing that's affordable built there as the builder can afford because uh, all of this process costs a lot of money and that reduces the amount of housing that the builder can say, well, I don't have to sell that for market rate and make a reasonable profit. Part of the problem. How would you like part to see? How would you like to sorry. see that? No, it's all right. How would you like to see that evolve with respect to the relationship between the county and that property and the city of Napa? Well, we have placed the property for sale, so someone is going to buy that property from the county and go through the process that I just described mm-hmm. at the city level. The county was making an effort to go through the process itself. And it was extremely costly to us. We weren't going to be the builders, and so we put it on the market. I've had many people ask me, well, why didn't you put a condition on the property? Part of our maintaining a good relationship with our partner, the city, and we're partners in many things, is, I believe, not forcing them to do something. And... So I don't think it would have been wise for us to say, oh, 40% is going to be, we're going to sell it with this caveat on it, and thereby forcing the city's hand. This is in their jurisdiction. Everybody has pretty much agreed, if not officially, but pretty much it's a uniform opinion that it's going to be all housing, although there's been some proposal for a little bit of commercial, perhaps that being the adaptive reuse of the historic structures. So the the decision point for the city is going to be how much affordable housing or housing that's affordable that they'll require to be there. Mm -hmm. And it's in their jurisdiction, so we've left that in their hands. And I really think that that's, that's a better way for us to go about it and maintain our working relationship with them rather than us dictating to them. Well, before we go off the subject of housing, I want to talk a little bit about an area that, that 
the county certainly doesn't have and you don't have jurisdiction over, except in terms of, of maybe persuasion and because it is in your district. Talk a little bit about what you're seeing with respect to housing in St. Helena and Calistoga and, and what, if anything, you would like to see happen in those places with respect to additional housing. Well, it's very interesting. Calistoga has been very aggressive over the last 25 years with the amount of workforce housing that's been built there. Uh, a fellow named Bob Fitterman, who you may mm-hmm. know, he was my planning commissioner for 12 years, my appointment to the County Planning Commission. But before that, Bob had started an affordable housing group called Calistoga Affordable Housing, an entity that built uh, quite a bit of affordable housing, including sweat equity, uh, housing for, for purchase uh, within the city of Calistoga. There have been many, I would say if you looked at the ratio of housing that's affordable to market rate housing, which is not the same thing anymore, mm-hmm. to in, in, and including in there the fact that there are three significant-sized mobile home parks, which I would put in the category of more in the category of housing that's affordable. I think Calistoga has quite a lot of that kind of housing. And that said, I know that there are more projects in the pipeline there to see more of that, of of non-market, well, I'll just call it non-market rate housing built. In St. Helena, We've seen very little housing of any kind built uh, in the last, well, 20, 30 years. I shouldn't say 20, 30 years, but in the last, uh, easily in the last 15 years. It's so expensive. This is, I believe, the most expensive city in which to purchase land. I don't know. It's hard to find much that's under $1 million in terms of a home, bare lot sell for $800,000, it's very difficult to build any kind of housing. So I, what I would like to see is that in terms of if there were to be units of housing, multiple units of housing built all at once, that 20 to 25% of it should be non-market rate. That would be my personal goal I want to come back to this issue you touched on before and and really maybe the most central issue. All these issues are important, but certainly the most central to to this election, as as you alluded to before, which is this crossroads that we seem to be at at the moment with respect to the county, the wine industry, land use, the highest and best use of the land, etc. Talk a little bit about what you see this time that is different. Certainly these issues have been part of, I can think, you know, most of the races, most of the elections that that you've run in, these issues have been out there. What's different about them this time? Why is this, to use your phrase, a crossroads? There's this heightened fear of where we're headed, what's going to happen. I think it's somewhat reflective of the national tension the, the tension that exists about where's our country headed? Well, how are we going to resolve the, this tribalism we, ha- we seem to have? And it's, I have not, it hasn't felt like this since 
2010, frankly. Um, in 2010, at the, I, I think that was about the peak of the Great Recession, people were really concerned. They were scared. And I don't know that we would be having that tension here if we, uh, to the extent it is, if we all weren't bombarded with the daily news that we are, which has created so much uncertainty in our lives in a way we have never felt it before, at least I never have. And I, it, I think that goes without saying, and it's not a party issue. Many, it cuts across party lines that people mm-hmm. are feeling uncertain about the future. They're feeling uncertain about their children's ability to stay in California, their children and grandchildren's ability to go to college with tuition. There's many, many factors that are not land use issues, but all contribute to people to heightened tension. And one place where people feel that they can exercise control is at the local level. That's Tip O'Neill. All politics is local. And a concern about our water supply, a concern about the quality of our water, a concern about how many of our trees and forests are we going to remove without replacing in the future. All of those are really, really valid concerns. I like to make, and I believe the board that I have served on for the last 16 years in its various compositions has always made or tried to make fact-based decisions. And we, to that end, are in a joint study, which I initiated doing with the city of Napa, a joint study of the watershed, so that we can make a fact-based decision about what, what, if any, or how, if any, our regulatory scheme needs to change to protect the water supply and water quality for Napa County residents. That's that, but that tension, which is reflected right now in an initiative on the ballot, I, that's how I see it, that tension is not going to go away no matter how that initiative turns out. So we need to find a way for our community to come together. I think we need to move in the direction of something like the way we handled the controversy over the flood control solution or flood management solution. You'll never control a real flood, but we can try to manage for floods. Uh, The flood management system that came about 20 years ago was not without a great deal of effort and community involvement, fact-finding, knowing what would work. It's very interesting that when you think about it, what resulted from a dispute over should it be a concrete trough or a a green pathway, the Living Rivers concept that was arrived at, actually resulted in in a little bit in a great deal of Living Rivers concept, and a, but still a little bit of trough, which we all fondly know as the bypass. Mm-hmm. And we need to work at finding a solution in the sense of an agreement about how we're going to manage our watersheds. That I would hope is the result of a process like that. Where does that leave you on the subject of Measure C? 
I'm neutral on C. I understand the concern. I deeply believe that we should all come together, though, instead of just simply voting on an initiative that we that we can't we can't alter. The board of supervisors can't change. The people will have to change. But this is a really significant policy decision, and a significant number of fo- folks got it to the point of putting it on the ballot, not just once but twice. So my colleague Supervisor Wagonconnect and I are neutral on Measure C in terms of a recommendation, and we are going to wait to see if the voters really do want to, as, the, as is proposed. I mean, the Measure C proponents say that their oak tree limit is really not intended to kick in till around 2030. I personally asked that of Mr. Hackett. Um, and do the voters today want to say that in 2030, we're going to say that's it, those are the most 795 acres of oak woodlands have been removed, and after that, there's not going to be any agriculture allowed where there, an oak tree would otherwise be required to be cut on parcels less than 160 acres in size. That's it. That's the key. I believe that's the 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 pivotal point, um, the pivotal aspect, which drives people to either be pro or con on C. I'm, what worries me is that people are expecting it to happen. There are people expecting it to happen a lot sooner than 2030. There are people fearful that it's going to happen a lot sooner than 2030. Uh, uh, and people who don't understand that it's not intended to happen until 2030. I, I, mean, so, I, I guess the other part of it is is the degree to which it is consistent or inconsistent with all of the many environmental regulations that Napa County has already, whether it's consistent or inconsistent with the general plan, whether it will be the gateway to a full employment act for lawyers to challenge it if it were to be passed, and all the many problems uh, that, that are often inherent in this kind of initiative process, in, in this kind of process that takes it out of the hands of the Board of Supervisors and, and puts it in the form of an initiative. Are those concerns that, that you have, even though you're neutral on it, those are, those are concerns that have been seriously raised? And, they and, have and, been raised. And, and, and They're and out there for everyone to consider in the form of the uh, 9111 report, the legal mm-hmm. opinion that uh, county staff obtained. I... I wish that, and I requested at the time, but we have to do these things in such a hurry due to the way election law, the process works, the time frames, that we hadn't had only a legal analysis, but that we'd been able to provide the voters with a analysis of here's what we have in terms of setbacks, because we do have existing setbacks mm-hmm. in terms of touching land with the proximate to waterways. Some of some of what we have in place is more restrictive than what's in C. Some of it is less restrictive in the sense that it's a smaller setback. I, I think it would, be, it would be more helpful to the voters right now to be able to see that, to also know that since 1991, we, on, on our drinking, sensitive drinking water watersheds, in other words, Bell Canyon Reservoir Watershed, Lake Hennessy Watershed, Millican, Rector, and so forth, there has been a rule in place 
that on any individual parcel when you come in to develop it, you have to retain 60% of the tree coverage that existed as of 1993, which we're able to document with aerial photos and so forth. So I'm a bit concerned that, more than a bit, I'm concerned that voters are unaware of the protections we already have in place and how those either meld with Measure C, are duplicative of Measure C, are, and, and just maybe don't have the full picture of things, which is what we could have if we had a robust series of town halls with many maps on display and, and an examination of the water quality and the water supply projections. Do you think that's possible at the end of yes. this process, whether if C passes or doesn't pass? Yes, it, I do. And I can point to many other much more serious environmental issues that have arisen around the country where serious environmental mediator, mediated sessions when I say serious, I mean really deep dives, not frivolous what everybody in the room thinks, and, and that's not frivolous, what they think is important, but my point is really fact-based decision-making process goes on. How much water is available? What is the water recharge? And, and the kind of information that we're getting, the county's getting for our groundwater basin. We're getting really good information. We have been investing a lot of the taxpayers' money in making sure that we don't have another depleted aquifer as we experienced in the Coombsville area hmm. starting in the, well, it really peaked, I guess, in the 90s, which led to an ordinance before I came on the Board of Supervisors to make sure it wouldn't get any worse. There was a, a factual study done of that situation and what needed to be done to replenish that aquifer. Prospectively, we have been working now for several years on the main basin of the Napa River and studying it. And we had a GRAC, a Groundwater Resource Advisory Committee, uh, composed of citizens, people from the wine industry, people not from the wine industry, and with ex water experts in the room and they arrived at recommendations. The Board of Supervisors, two and a half years ago, voted to increase the thresholds that are required to do vineyard and other kinds of development in the watersheds. It's called the Water Availability Analysis, the WAA. We made it tougher two years ago based on the recommendations from what we call the GRAC, the committee that had right. studied this with experts on hand. That's how these decisions should be made. Isn't that an argument? All good. Isn't that an argument against Measure C, though? Isn't that an argument to say this is the wrong way to do this, that, that what you're proposing is what you and the board should aggressively pursue? One could make that uh, assertion, as you just did, Jeff, but there's also a policy decision here about the voters saying we do or do not want to see agriculture in the hillsides. We just flat out want to protect the trees, whether or not they provide enhanced water to the, to the basin, to the ag preserve. And 
I mean, it's hard to argue that they don't. When, I don't think any of us could could say that. It's it's a it's a it's a tough place to be to be neutral. But I want to hear from the voters about what they think about this issue. I mean, and Major Tom, C is is not the the main focus of this supervisor race. Right. I mean, it appears to be. Um, because it's what everybody's talking about other than the supervisor race. But the two are very separate. This job is land use is what gets the attention. It's what gets the news, but it's not the bulk of what we do. Well, let me, we're running a, go ahead. I was going to say, let me quickly ask you about a couple of other things that that do fall under the rubric of the job. Your thoughts on, on what the County needs to do with respect to a new jail. Build one. (laughs) We need to build a new jail. So we are constantly working on cobbling together the funds, trying to minimize the amount we'll have to mortgage, because that's basically what it comes down to when we issue what are called certificates of participation. We're um, mortgaging our county buildings to build another county building, which is it's not uncommon. It's how we certificates of participation or how we built the uh, the new sheriff's facility, the, it, gosh, 12 years ago or more, the county, the new juvenile hall about 12 or 14 years ago. That's how it gets done, just like any business or homeowner would build and you know, invest in capital. We try to save a lot of money, so we're not paying interest on the taxpayer's money. Uh, we're able to own the, buy and the land where the jail is going to be. Without having to incur a mortgage, we saved the money and bought it. We we need to build a new jail because ours is just too old, too antiquated, and too costly to maintain the way it is and not serving the folks who are in it that we would like to see not return to it. In other words, our goal is reducing recidivism and to that extent, that's why we're building, that's one of the reasons we're building the so-called reentry facility, which will be due in, um, sorry, due to be finished in October. It's going to be a big step in that direction, and it will, it reduces the size of a jail. If we'd just built a, a new jail, it would have had to be much larger. So this is a better way to build, instead of building a jail that's going to last us 30 or 40 years, We're building two structures, and the second structure can be a little smaller because it's not going to grow as much because we're reducing recidivism. I'm really oversimplifying this Mm. description, Um, but that's, that's the lay of the land. As we speak, we are putting a new security system in the old jail. We can't, we have to keep maintaining it, and computer systems wear out, elevators wear out, all kinds of things happen. The sooner we build the new jail, we will be we'll just be in a much better place. Is the county going to do a bond issue for that at some point, possibly? That's what we're hoping not to do. That's the, that's the mortgage aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Because if you bond, you're bonding against the taxpayers paying it. If you do certificates of participation, you're basically mortgaging your existing assets. Your thoughts about helicopters, Measure D? Like 
uh, again, like Supervisor Wagon Connect, and I say this only because he's the only, the, the only one of my colleagues who voiced an opinion um, at the dais about this, was that when we put it Measure D on the ballot, he expressed that he had he had hoped that we would get to a point where we could enact legislation that would deal with this. We're in a tight spot to speak on Measure D because we have a pending project before us, and I think none of us wants to opine on something that could cause us one way or another to be viewed or accused of being biased on the subject of private helipads. So we have to be cautious in what we say, notwithstanding the fact that technically, as legislators, we can opine about how we feel about future legislation. We're in a little bit of a tight spot on this one. Mm-hmm. It also re- I was very supportive, uh, and the, the current proponent of Measure D will attest to this. I was quite supportive back in 2004 and led the charge on the changes to the ordinance that we have that's in place right now that said we will not have helipads at wineries. So I was very supportive of that and happy we did that. There are large parts of the county where we live right now where no one would know if a helicopter came within a mile of them. Um, so I, I, I legislatively, uh, I, I'd like Supervisor Wagon Connect. I had hoped when the current appeal that's before us was over, we would be able to to deal with this issue. But the voters may hand us an ordinance instead. And talk a little bit about how, finally, this campaign, not so much in terms of the issues, but just the way the county has evolved, the way elections have evolved here. Does this campaign feel different in any way? And can you imagine doing this once again, even after this election, assuming you're victorious? As to the second part of your question, never say never. Uh, James Bond taught me that. <laughs> so uh, it's one of my favorite expressions. I, I'm not going to project into the future. I'm just going to deal with June 5th right now. As to the former part of your question, what feels different? The basics of campaigning are still the basics. It's voter contact. It's getting out and shaking hands with people, introducing yourself to people you haven't met before. The more significant component, of course, as it is in everything, um, is social media. It's more significant now than it was four years ago, than it was eight years ago. But there's the, the good old-fashioned aspects of, of campaigning haven't gone away. Napa County Supervisor Diane Dillon, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you, Jeff, for the opportunity. Have a great day. You take care. You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Napa Valley Radio for the way we live now.